It was a night like any other night. Then something happened. You see that? Something different. It's no shooting star. Why here? Why now? Why clowns? What are you going to do? Knock my block off. Welcome to episode 26. 26? Of First Strike, the Invasion Podcast. The podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast Network that looks at the Invasion crossover event from uh, DC Comics, end of 88, and all its tie-ins. And I'm Siskoid. I'm Bess. And today we are looking at Justice League International number 23. This is not the Bwahaha Podcast. This is not the Bwahaha Podcast. We'll probably just take excerpts of this one for the Boaha podcast. <laughs> That's right. Because this issue is way in the future for Shag. Yeah. Uh, for us, uh, it's the second issue of JLI that we've had to cover, as we are in the aftermath extra portion of this crossover event. So you've become a big fan of Justice League International since the last I, time we spoke. Oh, yeah. I um, love it. I've, I've read everything up to that. Oh. Yeah. I'm well-versed. This is in, where you're at? This is where I'm at. <laughs> okay. In the Justice League International uh, saga. Right. Yeah, and, I love it. I uh, yeah, love it. yeah. It's uh, it's a very fun book. The synopsis was going to be kind of short because it's such a talky. It is book. So there's not a lot happening except you know in conversations and you yeah. know fun character bits. Uh, we uh, will talk about the issue mm-hmm. and then in the second part because we've already talked about our experience with the Justice League, which is our normal second part of the of an episode. Instead, we're going to because this. Uh, introduces the Injustice League. And so we thought it'd be interesting to, uh, in the second part, to talk about DC villains. Our favorites, our not-so-favorites, what makes a DC villain. Uh, Stay tuned for that after the break later on. So let's get to this. Uh, Justice League International number 23, Gross Injustice. It's uh, got plots and breakdowns by Keith Giffen, script by J.M. Demetrius, with penciler Kevin Maguire, inker Joe Rubenstein, letterer Bob Lappin, colorist Gene D'Angelo, as edited by Andrew Helfer, and introducing Kevin Dooley, King of the Universe. Oh, wow. Also an editor. Uh, the cover the cover features that new Injustice League, and it's a team shot from Kevin Maguire that is not seen from the top. Exactly. <laughs> Strangely. Exactly. They're more or less on a Tron-like grid. And uh, there's the a moon in the background, as if to infer the invasion, but that's not really part of the story. It's very 80s in the style, you know, that grid, that neon-type grid, forced perspective, Tron thing. <laughs> you kind of feel like they're supposed to have, like, this synthesizer sound effect, like a... Or yeah. something like that that should happen. And the moon is green, because moons are green. And I don't know if it's supposed to be sort of a badass... I don't know if you... If you don't know anything about Justice League, uh, this era of the Justice League, does this look like a fearsome villain group? <laughs> it does not. It does not. The first thing I saw was clocking mm. on there, and I'm like, what? Clock and clocking does have like the most ridiculous costume. Yeah, and for some reason, I love it. And I know... 
none of these, except for Clue Master, for some odd reason, I know Clue Master, but yeah. I don't even know from where. I don't know if Clue it's Master from. became later on the father of spoiler Stephanie okay. Brown, later Batgirl. Okay. So, um, but I don't know where he, what, where I know him from. I don't know if it's from an, an old Batman comic book or an old Flash comic book. I don't even know what he does. We'll discuss that in, after we do the synopsis. Uh, okay, so the Justice League is on cleanup duty in the Pacific, but while Guy Gardner wants to get it done as quickly as possible, the Martian Manhunter asks Mr. Miracle to inspect the Space Hulks uh, they have to remove in case they contain booby traps. On a neighboring island, a group of C-list, I'm being generous, C-list supervillains is trying to make a Thanagarian ship operational. These are... Major Disaster, Clock King, Big Sur, Multiman, Clue Master, and a tech-savvy guy called Bruce. Later, he would be known as the Mighty Bruce. Oh, really? Uh, Major Disaster has brought them together as the Injustice League, and as soon as they get this ship working, they'll be heading for some villainy. They got a lot of plans. Uh, but as soon as they do, their conversations are sent out over their ship's radio, reaching the other island, and that ship's communications console guy sees an opportunity for action worthy of earth's greatest green lantern and he tracks the injustice league's ship down and disables it with extreme prejudice the rest of the jli follow guy and prevent that ship from crashing and killing all hands as the injustice league is arrested and taken away by a military helicopter guy throws a tantrum at being put on tedious cleanup again after he kicks over a piece of debris the jli is i think warranted in wondering if he's responsible for the sudden atmospheric inversion that as we've seen across all the aftermath tie-ins turns part of the last page white white ink on black uh, yeah background. like a negative like a film yeah. negative yeah. well we finally get a name for that they because do we, we do we well keith giffen wrote invasion and writes justice league mm -hmm. so i think um we we get to um sorry about the mouse scroll there but we get to uh <laughs> next the deadly secret of the atmospheric inversion oh. revealed in invasion number three so that effect is an atmospheric inversion there we go it's a beautiful name okay so who are these uh injustice leaguers we have no idea well i have no idea major disaster <laughs> never heard of him major disaster is the biggest gun there I never heard of him. Uh, he's a Green Lantern villain. Oh, okay. Okay, so okay. he's appeared in a number of things. He you know, he wanted to become a supervillain and got various people to give him powers that mimic destruction-level events. Okay. So, like, earthquakes and hurricanes and... So he you know, has, like, incredible powers. Yes. Okay. Because we don't see it in here. We don't see him. Clock King is a Green Arrow villain. Yeah, no and he's also a dork with a clock on his face. Right, no powers. No powers. An obsession well, with time. Doesn't he have, like, this incredible knack for being exactly at the right time, right, at the right moment? Doesn't he have, like, this perfect timing type perfect thing? Perfect timing, so yeah. perfect timing could be a great power, I mean. Wasn't it in the Batman animated series where they use Clock King? Yeah. A you know, less silly Clock King yeah. who had actual temporal... He was more of a Kronos. He's very original in his look, so that's why I like <laughs> him but he's kind of silly he's in the top five green arrow villains oh wow because how many villains can you name <laughs> <laughs> because green arrow <laughs> uh then big sir is a flash villain uh, he was sadly born doofus p ratchet uh so he was you know mentally handicapped i'm not even sure he's a bad guy he wasn't really just like easy to manipulate and yeah, send him that's... against the flash because they, they gave him that suit and made him stronger yeah. Uh, and then that's his storyline ends with him uh, being sent to Gorilla City where he's cured. 
of his low IQ. Okay. And he becomes a genius. And that's the last time you saw him, basically. And now it's all undone in this issue where Big Sur is once again He's just stupid. Uh, and then you have Multiman, who is the most obscure here. He's a Challengers of the Unknown villain. Okay. His power is that he... Uh, every time he dies, he's reborn with different powers. So he's like the original Resurrection Man, okay. I guess. But, um, you know, after this point, we only ever see him looking like the, like the big-headed, big head. he's super smart or something. I think that's a telepathic version okay. of uh, Multiman. The but only... he, ne- he never uses his powers, never dies in, in any other <laughs> Justice League appearance. The only thing I saw with Multiman is that he stole Dollman's costume. That's true. It's, that is Dollman's costume. Dollman's costume with... Uh, Without the cape. A Talosian head. Yeah. I mean, Dollman had a cape, right? Yeah. He, he doesn't. But he's yeah. got the flared collar, the, but same the same flared thing. red collar. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and in this, it's revealed, I don't know if, I, I doubt this was in any Challengers issues back in the day, but uh, it's revealed that he is, uh, he suffers from bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. It dates the comic because he says he's manic depressive, which is Yeah, which is an the older, old way of saying stuff. An older term. And Cluemaster, Batman villain. What does he do? I, I always thought he was well, like a poor man's Riddler, but I don't he know. He is a poor man's Riddler. He feels forced to leave clues, but they're not riddles. Okay, they're just clues. They're just clues. And those those capsules he has on his uh, costume, yeah. uh, he throws those around. It's like a utility belt. Like smoke okay. and clues, yeah, okay. I guess, are in, are in those things. There's <laughs> a package of clues. They're like Easter eggs. Right. You, you can find them everywhere. And... Yeah, it's like um, Tinder Surprise. Kinder Surprise. <laughs> Kinder? Kinder Surprise. Tinder Surprise is something else. Kinder yes. Surprise. <laughs> yes, Tinder Surprise is weird and awful. <laughs> but Kinder Surprise, yeah, it's cool. And the Mighty oh. Bruce makes his first appearance here. So he's just the tech guy that Major Disaster met in prison. All the time I was reading this, I was thinking, who is this Bruce guy? Why should I... Should I know him? Is he like a super tech guy? Is he like some sort of calculator type person? Or no, he's just Bruce. He's just like a cellmate who's yeah. who's brought into this which um, is, team. Which is actually kind of fitting for this gang. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys... Well, he's I guess, their Oberon, or yeah. if they're a match for the Justice League, he's the normal guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> normal guy, no powers, a little bit of ambition... And this is very much a Justice League international story. Oh, very much. Because you've got the comedy on the side of the heroes, but you've got the comedy on the side of the villains. Mm -hmm. And so the villains are completely inept. Never use their powers or abilities. (laughs) Yeah. As soon as their ship is is disabled, they're taken into custody. Yeah. They're done. They're arrested. (laughs) There's no battle. That's it. There's no fight. In fact, they get their bacon saved by the Justice League. <laughs> which is which is cool. Which is cool. Because this, this thing is like, I mean, when I was reading it, because I read it a couple times. Because I was always trying to figure out who the hell were these supervillains. And all of a sudden it kind of hit me that these guys are basically grew from uh, Despicable Me 1. Where they kind of want to be villains. They are villains. They were villains. And now they kind of just want to make a big splash or something. And it doesn't happen for them. I think Major Disaster is a... His problem is that he was just like a normal crook who became too ambitious, really. Because he's no match. He's no mastermind. He's no match for anybody. I think Bruce (laughs) could take him. Uh, And usually the disasters that he caused became problems through which he got (laughs) defeated. They're a fine control. So he once he you tra- unleash a tornado, you've got a tornado there. He's not storm. So he just starts them. He can't control them, really. Not really. 
<laughs> and he has a force field that protects him from it. Yeah, yeah. And usually it foiled his own plans. Like I said, he's if there's a C-lister here, it's him. Yeah. And the other ones are... Lower. Lower down the alphabet. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of mirroring the Justice League, or what a lot of people think of the Justice League International at this point, right? Like... There's a, they're all B-lister uh, superheroes. Yeah, you've got Martian Manhunter. Yeah, and Scott Free. I mean, and you know, but Miracle then Man. you've got Fire and Ice and yeah, yeah. Rocket Red. Exactly. So people think they're not, or some people would think they're not, because probably a lot of people are thinking, you know, the classic Justice League of America would have, you know, taken care of of the entire invasion with no problem. You know, but these guys, they're on cleanup duty. So you know, you have these great superheroes, the Justice League. Who are cleaning up, and I mean, Guy Gardner in this at at this point is like our voice saying, "What? These guys on cleaning duty, really?" But Guy also becomes a you know jackass because he's a jackass. But <laughs> but you know, it's it's this thing where people look at the Justice League and say, "Oh well, they're not as powerful as they should be," but they they really are actually. These these superheroes are. Oh, yeah, they they can take care of business when they need to, and, and they always do. But the focus of the comic is on in between the fights exactly because so. you, you can choose what story you can tell right and and you can tell the story of, of how i don't know the justice league defeats mongol i mean you can you can do that but you can also tell the story of how the justice league interacts with the justice league how are they when they're not fighting you know in this we also see what you know the dynamic for villains yeah well see lister villain and this is not the, the last time you know keith giffen's justice league will do this there uh, there's also a famous storyline where where you see a bar with all the z-listers oh yeah they all go to the same place <laughs> and there's a there's a fight over some artifact from the justice league's past like who's in there like crazy oh man like brainstorm and and, <laughs> and the people from the cadre so you've got like, crowbar and fastball <laughs> okay one-offs that's great so, so they do that sort of thing it's yeah. interesting to see the bat you know the the lame bad guys and uh, yeah. there are a lot of marvel's done it with um the, the superior foes of spider-man is a similar <laughs> group of B-listers that yeah. don't quite have much success and played for comedy. And and it was done with uh, the Rogues Gallery from uh, the Flash when when Wally West was the Flash, and he kind of went to the bar once in a while just to talk to him. You know, it's kind of funny and weird, and it, it gives these characters life, right? An inauspicious beginning because. They don't do anything. They don't. It's, it's like... <laughs> they really don't. They try to steal Thanagarian shit. Yeah, I, I'm that's... wondering where what they're doing there. Because it sounds like they were just assembled. Because just Bruce's presence, the fact that mm -hmm. Major Disaster has taken on Bruce and his team and the way they talk about it, that this is... I don't know, they went to the South Pacific to get some salvage yeah, you know, really rights on, like on ships. Because at first I thought, oh... Are they all together because... Are they all out of prison because Amanda Waller broke them out to participate? Like, she's supposed to be running this yeah. side game with the villains? And so are they villains that have sort of escaped the authorities' radar? <laughs> they're, they're not important enough. We just lost track of them. <laughs> and they would be cowards who would not... They yeah. would be brought there to fight the invasion and then wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, But it we don't know that, but it's... And because of Bruce, was it, okay, um, you, 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 um, you're all out of prison to fight the invasion. And then Major Disaster says, well, can I bring my cellmate? He's really good with computers. <laughs> okay. We never really know. If, no. uh, it's fun to imagine that stuff. But then again, these guys, you could probably, you know, except for like... Uh, multi-man you wouldn't recognize these guys without the costumes so you know they're probably without costumes and probably took advantage of uh the the invasion to escape 
cleanly escape and get because the big head. I mean, pointy to ears. get to a well, deserted yeah. island. That's kind of weird, though. Yeah. How, how? Why were they there? Why were they there, Mr. Giffen? How, how None of that? them can fly. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's it's a bizarre setup, but we don't know how that happened. And of course, even though they have this slowly beginning. They will reappear mm-hmm. uh, in Just League Europe and then Just League International later. Uh, they'll become, most famously, they go straight. Do, yeah, they mm, do. There's an attempt to go straight and they... Uh, they fail at that too? Well, they put them out of action so that you know, to put them somewhere that they won't do any damage. Maxwell Lord recruits them into the Just League International and puts them at the Antarctica Embassy. Oh my god. Uh, and they're being led by an actual hero, Nort. North the Greenlanders. So it's North and uh, the, the the Injustice League as Justice League Antarctica, and it's like uh, the, you know they had their own story against yeah. killer penguins in a uh, Justice League International Annual. Wow, number four. So that's a pretty fun story, and I think I think that's really their real claim to fame. And when we remember yeah. the this Injustice League and their dynamic, and it's usually that story. Okay, where they get to be failed heroes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> failed villains becoming failed heroes. So they're bad that's at everything the they try. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it's it's fine. It's fine because it's not about really what they can do or... It's about the dynamic of the group, right? These stories, and it's true for Justice League also, it's not about what they can and can't do. It's about how they are. And these guys, I, when I read it, nothing really happens. They only try to steal a ship. But I was like, yeah, I kind of want to learn more about these guys. We have these little dynamics starting, you know, with clocking and a clue master just hanging out on the beach. And, you know, you have the only one that kind of is like a sour note. It's Big Sur. I just don't get him. I really would like to see these guys try to pull off a heist or something because they probably fail. That's what I thought when I was reading this. You know, for me, uh, the Injustice League also sort of appears in um, the introductory adventure that comes with the DC Heroes role-playing game, Second Edition, which okay. I've played often. And I think you've probably played in one of them. Uh, have you ever played in the scenario where you have to go on TV and you're no. like on a Geraldo type show? No, I haven't. Okay, well, there is that adventure. And it's against the Injustice League. And the only Injustice League member that they keep from this is Major Disaster. So okay. he's like built up a different team. And they're a little bit more, you know, it's like Grodd and Scarecrow, and it's a little bit more okay. real trouble, I guess, yeah, for, I... for the heroes. But then it's not so much about fighting, it's about going on TV and, and proving <laughs> that, making people call in for either the heroes or the villains. That's that's great. I think there's comedy in the realism. Oh, so, like yeah. in this, the cleanup duties, that's got to be done. And so it's basically shades of damage control. Over and the army's Marvel. not going to do it, because, you know. Especially yeah. on this scale. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. And then uh, you've got Blue Beetle's board, Guy's board, they would be. Yeah. This is something that's normal. Uh, Rocket Red suit is overheating because of the they're in the South Pacific and it's too hot and humid. Yeah. Uh, the copyright infringement. That's funny. Joke. So <laughs> that's actually very funny. So Martian Manhunter at the end <laughs> threatens the Injustice League with a lawsuit for copyright infringement because Injustice League and Justice League are too close. Yeah. And gives them a bad name. <laughs> See that? That's the <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that makes me laugh because uh, you know it could happen. And there's never going to be a, a full comic book. Well, they could be a full comic book on, you know, a lawsuit. But it's one of those things where you say, yeah, yeah, Injustice League. You, it you sounds, can't it sounds like stuff. a joke and probably yeah. an empty threat. Except 
you've got Maxwell Lord running the show, so exactly. he would do that. Yeah, you know, he tangled them up in in lawsuits for sure. Uh, so you know, that's a fun bit. The yeah. uh, when uh, Beetle warns the team about G forces, everybody falls back, and it's the kind of stuff that, of course, would happen, mm -hmm. but you wouldn't see it in a superhero comic normally. You wouldn't because we're all so focused on hero shots and looking cool. And yeah. Martian Manager doesn't fall back down the ship because of G-forces. Here he does. <laughs> and this is about the same time as, uh, you know, real dark stuff like uh, Death in the Family and, and the Killing Joke. And... Death in the Family was uh, just before this, right? Uh, yeah. It had just happened because as we saw in the Batman comics. You know, and that's kind of dark stuff. And having this major book like the Justice League International being funnier... And, and a bit zany, you know. It, it, it was very nice. Lightened the mood for a lot of superhero comics. They were just about to launch Justice League Europe, just to have a Justice League book that was just a little bit more serious. Yeah. But just a little bit more. Well, I can see how you want a Justice League that's a bit more serious, you know, to, to take care of the big global So they still had the comedy. We'll be reading the first issue of that as Ooh. part of our project because it's a it spins out of the, the invasion. I never really read a Justice League Europe, so... You know, sometimes they sort of cross over one into the other, but okay. usually they have their own separate strands. And so it's got the same comedy dynamics between the characters. Cool. but a little more superhero action okay so you, you're not always in the non-action moments oh that's great it was a good series as well any other uh, jokes that you really liked or uh, moments well you see i really like how what we like to see in this book and i think that's what faked out a lot of people where you know you see a justice league book and you think there's going to be a lot of action super big superheroes and i've said a lot it's about how they are and not what they do and i mean these superheroes in there and the supervillains they all have this huge potential to be something more than they are often they only have a bad sense of self-evaluation major disaster is much too serious to you know he's dressed in pink and pale blue <laughs> i mean come on dude you can't be so serious all the time lighten up you know and that's kind of how they're treating them at the end where they're in custody they're in this helicopter, helicopter yeah. and, you know, the army's taking him away. And at the end, you know, Major Disaster has this pinky in the brain moment where Brain says, well, our plans have been foiled, but next time. And the other ones are like, shut up. And they just start beating on him. And these guys have enormous potential, but they're just, it's their personalities. And, and, and it's the same thing with the Justice League. I mean, Guy Gardner, he is probably the greatest Green Lantern at that moment, but he's... He's the image of why power doesn't make the hero. I mean, he's he's incredibly powerful, but he's a dumbass and a jerk. And, you know, Ice is like the opposite of that. She's incredibly powerful. I mean, she's the original Ice Princess. I mean, she was Elsa before Elsa was Elsa, you know? she's uh, She has the same powers as, you know, major villains with the cold powers. But she's she seems to be... She's holding back. Holding back, yeah. yeah. And it's for psychological reasons. Yeah, and same thing with Fire. And, you know, Fire, she's over-sexual because she has low self-esteem. And she actually says that in a couple comic books of the JLI. And then, well, she has this discussion in uh, one of the annuals, I think, with Ice. And she says, you know, I always try to look good because, you know, I have low self-esteem or something like that. And she's then Ice goes, really? And she's like, oh, no, 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 people just like it when I say that. But you know it's true. So, you know, these characters are so much more than just powers. And that's what I loved about this. And and the villains are also much more than just 
you know, their villain powers. Their in, in the heroes, we do find that there are some very competent heroes that didn't yeah. decompetize. You know, the, the the heroes that were always competent are not now incompetent. No, exactly. So, uh, so Marshman Hunter and Mister Miracle, for example, would be you know the bigger names right now in the team, yeah. just as Batman was. And uh, so those people are straight men. You know, they have the banter, they have all that, but they're super competent, and it's like they're suffering from the others who goof off, who are dangerous, in the case of Guy Gardner. So Guy Gardner's being babysat, you know, basically through, through all of this. <laughs> and he's racing off, and he's... And when they do catch up with the Sanagarian ship, Martian Manhunter basically gets out of the whatever craft they're using. They're not using the bug, so... Yeah, uh, he just... And he... The Quinjet. He basically <laughs> grabs the spaceship. And he, you know, he handles the situation alone. Yeah. Marshman Hunter can do all this alone. Well, he is very overpowered. So... A lot of people don't know this, but he's very, <laughs> very powerful. So they play the straight men. And it's Blue Beetles. Blue Beetles is a very competent superhero when he's, he's alone. Exactly. But in a group situation... He's the clown. He goofs off. Maybe the others don't take him seriously, which just makes him do that more. Yeah. Same for Booster Gold. I think they're all they're all basically looking for acceptance, you know, within that group. And you know, Beetle's this genius guy. I mean, he's probably smarter tech wise than you know Bruce Wayne, and, and he does all his own stuff. And but he's probably a nerd who went to school, and being a nerd and not having a lot of friends, all of a sudden he was he's a superhero and. He has these buddies. He hangs out with the jock. Well, it's a good point that when you look at Blue Beetle and even Booster Gold up to a point, these are characters that in their own books, when they're solo, like I'd say we're, we're funny people in yeah, life. Yeah. Are we funny alone? So you're not sitting there being funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not. You're only being funny, being funny in, you know, with other people, yeah. for other people, or, yeah. you know, in the dynamic with other yeah, people. With so, in interactions. So yeah. take Blue Beetle who is a like a Spider-Man type in his mm -hmm. own book. Not all the, the teenage angst, but the wisecracking. And mm -hmm. He does this, and he has fun doing it. And he's throwing all the jokes at the bad guys. And But you're not in a clowning relationship. So when you put him in a group, in the group he's the clown. In the group he finds that like Booster Gold is like him. And suddenly well, yeah. it's about hijinks. They've got a lot of downtime. It's not the full superhero life of... Exactly. You know, it turns them into that, and I think it makes sense. Some people would say, well, I loved those characters, and Just League International made jokes out of them. But in oh. reality, I think that when, when you take that personality and you put it in with a group, and exactly. in the group there are serious people, and there are joking people, and there are all sorts, and morons, and, you know, Guy Gardner's in your team. Who wouldn't kind of team up with someone else and trash talk guy all the time if you're like the clowns and people are serious and the yeah. leaders are serious the leaders aren't going to trust you as much exactly they're not going to give you as many tasks they're going to give you the menial tasks yeah you know you're either going to ferris bueller yourself out of them or you're going to play the kid who got left at the monitor room yes it's an extreme comedy version of all this but i think there's a psychological reason yeah yeah you know it's not it's, it's not, not just turning them into jokes exactly it's not gratuitous it's kind of planned out i mean there are a lot more wisecracks than there should be sometimes when i read these i go okay that this wisecrack shouldn't have been there because you know it's just it's just slowing down the pace of of the dialogue and you know i'm, I'm thinking this kind of stuff because uh, i you're a comedy writer because i yeah, well you know what yeah i <laughs> So that's exactly how I see it when I read it, right? Because I'm like, I'm like reading this long, and all of a sudden there's this one wisecrack when I go, yeah, no, 
this one shouldn't have been there. As somebody who does write comedy, you, you have to, when you write comedy, you have to think of the pacing and, and right. how you want to do this. And when something kind of clanks, even if it's a wonderful joke, you, you just take it out. You got to kill your, uh, you gotta your kill darlings. Your babies. Yeah. yeah. You got to, you got to get rid of them because uh, the entire sketch thing, the entire piece is bigger than this one joke. So, and sometimes, you know, there's a little room for that joke somewhere else, and, you know. But what I do love about this is is exactly that, how these guys interact so differently than when they're alone. And that's why I think it makes them better. I think that's why I fell in love with Justice League International, because I see it as making these heroes better, more relatable. They're multidimensional. And you can have a Martian Manhunter, which is gloomy and, and darker and detective-y, but you can also have them laughing at a simple joke like... Uh, you're a great soldier, just a little green, and he, you know, he cracks up because yeah. he's green. This is a rare moment of the Marshmallow yeah. laughing. and this can exist and should exist within that character. So I, I, I really like the Justice League International because of that. It, it just creates this wonderful bubble of richness for these characters. I think it might be interesting to go back and look at the episode where we covered Justice League International number 22. Yeah. Because... You read that without ever having read any Just League International. Yeah. And then, and now we're get, you know, we're just one issue later. But for you, it's been 23, or yeah. 25 with the annuals or whatever uh, issues more than mm-hmm. the last time we spoke. So you went from. Oh, I'm gonna go listen to myself and then critique <laughs> myself for saying stuff I probably talking out of school. So yeah, uh, we're gonna take a small break here, and um, when we return. We'll have a discussion about villains, DC villains. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Every time I build a robot, every time I sink a ship, Every time I throw a girl off of a big old building or abandoned bridge It seems you're always there to stop me I've had enough, I'm sick of it No more scheming, no more steering I think I'm done with all of this We're back. We're talking about villains. DC villains, yeah. specifically. Let's just start the conversation with who are your favorite DC villains, whether A-list, B or C or Z-list? Well, I, I kind of narrowed it down to some people. I mean, everybody loves the Joker, so or I think everybody loves the Joker, with reason. I mean, he is one of the great villains. He's been through 
everything. I think he came out the other end with flying colors of purple and green. But, you know, the Joker is always the best one. Because he's, at the same time, purposeful. He's thought out, but he's also chaotic and weird. And he's terrifying and he's funny and he's this incredible paradox of a creature. Everybody loves the Joker. I didn't put him way up. I think there's something about villains that are overplayed sometimes. They're using the Joker so much oh, yeah, that I get, I get fatigued. But I think one of my favorites is because I'm a you know, Flash head and it's the reverse mm-hmm. Flash. Oh. I always loved him. Uh, I Actually, I didn't always love him. I always thought he was a thorn in the side. He was, is that just, a pun? Uh, kind of. Uh, (laughs) but you know I always thought and I really liked them more when they introduced the second generation reverse flash was Zoom not Professor Zoom but just Zoom Hunter Zolomon and then I got to see really how these two supervillains were just obsessed with the flash and it's this obsession with the flash and how the flash is great which would be a positive thing you know you know you love a superhero but they're always they're always disappointed in the Flash. And that's why they take it on themselves to make the Flash better. Okay. And it's this weird thing where uh, the reverse Flash has this idea of what the Flash is. He only knew what the Flash did great. He's never seen like the little you know, little things that he, that wasn't so great. He always saw the, you know, the big highlights. So his idea of the Flash is just a highlight reel of everything that was great. And then when he meets the Flash or in the case of Hunter Zolomon, wants to be the Flash. That's where he gets disappointed. You know, his motives are very clear, and somewhere he, he tries to be a teacher, but fails miserably at being a good teacher. Just So this obsession with being the Flash's mentor, I guess, is incredible. I just love that. Because, uh, you know, Professor Zoom and, and Zoom, they both think they're doing a good thing. I've had trouble just, like, finding A-listers that... I could name as favorites. Okay. Really? Yeah, just the A-listers. I'm more into the more obscure characters. I think I think you have fatigue. There's a lot of fatigue. There, there is that, although I would say that, and I'm probably going to get fatigued soon enough, um, but one of my favorites, and it's probably just a love of Jack Kirby's work, is, to me, Darkseid mm-hmm. remains a powerful, cool villain, but the way he's kind of being used in Justice League stories all the time now or in in movies and it's probably going to put me off. (laughs) Yeah. But I like the whole fourth world villains. You know, if you got Darkseid, then you've got Desaad. Granny Goodness is, I'd say, like the trifecta of awesome... These characters are great. Apocalypsean characters, yeah. These characters are great. So those would be like my top and and then I'd go and I don't know if I can call it A-list, but I'd go to the Legion of Superheroes and name the Time Trapper in there. Because I like time travel stories and the Time Trapper is an intriguing, mysterious character. I mean, he's an A-list Legion villains. It's just, are any Legion villains A-list? In the greater context, (laughs) is the question. For me, it's more about the Z-listers, B or Mm Z-listers. The ones I I think of, Ambush Bug is up there, of course. Mm -hmm. It's a character that I've collected every appearance. He's not even a villain. He he started out as a villain. Did he? Oh, yeah. Ah, I didn't know that. He's a Superman villain. Today, he's more of a nuisance, but I wouldn't call him a hero. He's a color commentator. Yeah. Eventually, he became a hero. You're right. He became a member of the Doom Patrol and all that. So, he was in there. Members of the 80s Suicide Squad, specifically... 
Captain Boomerang and Deadshot, which were like the best See, characters in there. When I was thinking about the B-listers that I really do love, Captain Boomerang's up there. Yeah, in the comics, he's awesome. You know what? In the comics, he's awesome, and I might get some flack on this. But in the movie, I'm not saying the movie's good. I'm the Suicide Squad, Squad movie? Okay. Suicide Squad movie. I'm not saying the Suicide Squad movie is good. But Captain Boomerang in that show was probably one of my favorites uh, because of compared to the others he was like this true villain where and spoiler alert for a bad movie he does get slipknot killed well just that happens check, in the comics as well just to check out if the it's, bomb it's, in the neck is yeah. is real and, same thing in the comics and and you know what and that was great and he didn't do it stupidly he did smart and, and he's smarter than he looks he's a better villain than he's given credit for in that movie and he's entertaining And they gave him this little unicorn fetish thing for absolutely no reason. I would watch an hour and a half just of this guy doing stuff, but the rest of the movie kind of... So if I go to real obscure, then I, I put down the Brotherhood of Dada. <laughs> well, that's real obscure. That's that's. Uh, I love that thing from Doom Patrol. That's Doom Patrol, and and they kind of made a comeback, or was created by uh, Morrison. So Grant Morrison <laughs> took the Brotherhood of Evil okay. and made a different version, was Brotherhood of Dada, whose only point was well, nonsense. That's what Dada is. So yeah. it's not about evil. It's about nonsense. complete nonsense. And the, each of the characters in there were outlandish ideas and I loved them all and um, I took a uh, an art class at some point uh, during that period when I was in the university I took Mr. Nobody who was very very abstract yeah. it's like a person who was turned into an abstract being and so his look was very easy to draw and so I did a lot of studies using the Nobody character oh wow so I used to doodle him all the time Yeah. So <laughs> I love how in university we used to take superheroes and stuff like that or comic books and put them into, you know, serious university work. That's what I like. Yeah. yeah. I like these oddball villains. I I've loved some Eclipso stories. I've loved some Lex Luthor stories. I, are they my favorites? I feel like they're so omnipresent that yeah. It's not special when they show up. No, I like no, villains that show up. Oh, jeez. I get it, I get it. Yeah. But, you know, I, when I when I was doing my lists, I really tried A-listers. Who do I like in mm -hmm. these guys? Uh, you know, B-listers. Who do I like? And, and so on and so forth. I mean, these these super villain characters like the Lex Luthers, and the, they're so great that they can basically be added to any sauce. I mean, that's, that's the brilliance of it. Uh, the other ones, when you go down the list, like I have Sportsmaster on my sure. list. Sure. Love Sportsmaster. Why? Because he's... Well, for starters, he's cool. Even the old costume where he has this, you know, he only has like this veil over his face and, you know, it's very grifter type, you know, and, and he's awesome. I mean, he uses sports ability and sports equipment to, you know, combat Green Arrow and, you know, yeah. go against superheroes. And, you know, I love seeing a guy get away with skis. This guy not only was very, very good at what he was doing, but he also, when, when you read him as a kid... You say, hey, I have a tennis ball and a tennis racket. I could be sports master and, you know, use my tennis balls and my tennis racket to beat up Green Arrow. So that's what I love about these characters. And, and I have, like, Toy Man in there. Because Toy Man is one of the weirder, possibly crazier supervillains. I mean, he creates weapons out of toys. That's villainy. I mean, and he's surprisingly a Superman villain rather than a Batman villain. So, you know, I love these guys because he, he has the potential to be, like, this 
incredibly evil person. Never really is. I mean, he always... Well, there was a child killer storyline that they sort of retconned out by saying he was like a rogue toy man robot because it's, it's too, it was too dark. It's too dark. I mean, and but this character has the potential to be very funny and very, very, very dark. And I like that range, you know. It's basically why I put down everybody I have here. I mean, I also have Catman. The, sure. But I uh, I didn't like him as Catman when he was like this weird male version of Catwoman or this weird pointy-eared resembling Batman type. I liked him when Gail Simone mm-hmm. took him in the I Secret Six. I was going to say the uh, Secret Six oh. is the basically the modern equivalent of Suicide Squad. Yeah. Screw the modern Suicide Squad. Like but that Secret, Secret Six, Six had oh. that feeling, so it really redeemed characters, made characters interesting, just like Suicide Squad had yeah. of characters I didn't care about, like Bane. Yeah, by, by giving them, just like I think the ancestor of all the of, of Secret Six is as much Suicide Squad from the '80s as this Injustice League, probably. Yeah, that we've just read about because it it's about the dynamic between yeah. the characters. And finding humor in it. Because the Secret Six was brilliant for that. I mean, uh, this this lone parademon in love with Ragdoll. And it fit, because, you know, why wouldn't it? Catman, who is, you know, a lot... It's not a joke, but he's... They don't take away the joke part. The joke Catman thing is what made him into Catman now. You know, and... I'd say Catman would be the... The same way Boomerang and Deadshot were rescued from Infamy uh, by Suicide Squad and turned into... A-list villainous protagonists as opposed to I mean if they still go up against superheroes they're not going to do well <laughs> but you know yeah. uh, I think Catman is the one that really rose up to the yeah. top under Gil Simone's yeah. uh, and, writing and, and Deadshot Deadshot was in there too. oh that's right yeah and so Deadshot I mean before he was well he was in Suicide Squad before yeah, he was already redeemed if you will yeah and and he got even cooler and I just love the Secret Six one question that comes to mind, we're specifically talking about DC villains. And when I, whenever I think of, okay, who are A-list? Like I said, I had trouble with A-listers, yeah. naming A-listers. But for Marvel, I wouldn't have such a problem. I think, you know, Doctor Doom and Galactus are like yeah. very much in my imagination. And I'm happy to see them when they show up in whatever comic I'm reading. In the same way that I'm happy to see, I don't know, Dr. Phosphorus or something in a DC comic. <laughs> Just because the... <laughs> I like the more unusual ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but what makes a villain, specifically a DC villain? Is there a common denominator? Uh, is there a different feel to villains from one universe or the other? Or it's all the same. Let's generalize here. Because obviously there are Marvel villains in DC and there are DC villains in Marvel. Yeah, yeah. So I, I put down a few thoughts on this. So let's see what, what you think and what yeah. your opinions are. But some characters definitely have their own brand of villains. So, you know, Batman... We could say DC villain, but there's such a thing as a Batman villain. There is. It's very specifically a Batman villain, uh, more so than for any other character. There's such a thing as a Spider-Man villain, yeah. usually animal-themed. But, yeah, uh, really. And a Flash villain yeah. is like a science has a science yeah. gimmick. A Batman villain is mad as a hatter, including the Bad Hatter. Most of the time, yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the sort of gimmicks that they're prone to. You know, Superman, like I said, has a toy man, has a prankster who kind of feel like Batman villains. Yeah, but uh, also has, you know, Brainiacs and, and Lex Luthers, which yeah, but which the, are, you know, basically Justice League type or level villains. Right, and is there really just the fact that they have gimmicks? I think Marvel villains have gimmicks as well. We often speak of the DC Universe as more epic or more cosmic, like bigger superhero, whereas Marvel has more street heroes. So do they have more epic 
villains as opposed to street villains. I mean, they've got Despero and Starro and Darkseid, but is that really it? So that wasn't it for me. I, I mean, that that's that can't be because everybody's got big and small heroes, and they've got. I mean, Marvel has. Like I said, Galactus. Yeah. They've got those, you know, big threats that are on par with the Justice Leagues. So is it the type of stories? Uh, Marvel heroes struggle with maintaining a normal life. Their villains are more prone to interfering with that. So it's always about, you know, uh, attacking at the wrong time while Spidey has to go somewhere to, you know, has to meet Aunt May or his girlfriend or whatever. And the villain is always in the way. Yeah. Uh, and they very often discover the hero's identity. I think they do that a lot in the movies yeah. and the shows um, and the comics as well. Yeah. The villain who knows who you are and instead of revealing it, just cause trouble for you. Yeah. Uh, they'll meddle with your life. You know, it's they, they want you to reveal it. And even if it if they don't know at whatever point, you still get Dr. Octopus marrying Aunt May. It's in your life. Your secret identity is under threat from the villain. Uh, whereas DC, I think, is not so much about that. They want to kill or upstage the hero. It's about the hero identity. It's about attacking that hero identity. Yeah. And the Joker doesn't care who Batman is. He doesn't. It's Batman he wants to upstage. He doesn't care about Bruce Wayne. If he ever knew, he would forget it yeah. immediately. It's uh, not about that for him. It's not about that. Lex Luthor doesn't want to believe Clark Kent. He's been told that Clark Kent is yeah. Superman. Doesn't want to believe it. No, it's not possible. He only cares about Superman, and he leaves Clark Kent alone. Yeah. So I think that that, and I like that. I like that idea that maybe that's the different stories that they tell, and that would be the real difference between a Marvel and a DC villain. Yeah, it, it sounds right. And in that perspective, and that would totally coincide with how my dad, which is okay. who, who is a Marvel head, he, he loves Marvel. And I, I like DC more. And we don't fight about it. We don't, you know, I love That's... everything. But uh, he used to tell me, because we talk about it sometimes, and he, he said, well, I like the Marvel heroes because they're closer to what I am, you know. I'm closer to the, you know, normal. And he didn't really get that cosmic threat type thing. And maybe what happens with the Marvel superheroes or the Marvel villains, they could be maybe linked to inner conflict. You know, because there's a lot of inner conflict with uh, the Marvel heroes. Maybe the villains somehow enhance that inner conflict. And DC's like the contrary. It's like you are who you are. And the conflict comes from the exterior about people trying to, you know, attack you or control you or something like that from the outside. Yeah. Kind so of, one is more personal than the other one. It, it, well, they're both personal, but one of them is about who you are and the other one is about what you believe in. Okay. I, I'm thinking, I'm just spitballing. Oh, yeah, we're all spitballing. There, there's another facet that when I was doing research that's been part of discussions on this is that I guess it comes from DC's longer tradition, yeah, Golden Age and Silver Age. They've got heroic dynasties. There's not just a Superman. There's a Supergirl. There's a Super Dog. There's a whole... It's super a Superman bo- family. Right. So in your heroic dynasty and for many of the bigger heroes, there's a female version. There's mm-hmm. a sidekick. There's a super pet. There's also what I'll call the mirror universe hero or the villain. So you've got a Bizarro. You've mm-hmm. got a reverse Flash. You've got Catman or the Wrath for Batman. You know, somebody who has sort of the same origin, sort of the same modus operandi, but turned bad instead of good. Yeah. Uh, you've got a Black Adam. You've yeah. got a Sinestro. You've got the Injustice League or the various Injustice Leagues. You've got the Legion of Supervillains. So even in the names they will be exactly reverse, yeah. like morally reversed versions of the hero. 
you don't see that so much in Marvel. You you know, Venom could conceivably be called a reverse Spider-Man. Yeah. But is he really? Not quite. Obviously, this stuff happens across. Yeah. You'll be doing Marvel stories of DC and DC stories of Marvel. Yeah. But for the most part, you don't get that same opposition. The villains will be, might be opposed in various ways, but they're not like the reverse yeah. image. Yeah, and I think the legacy heroes like uh, like Captain America does have a Red Skull, mm-hmm. which is the the mirror opposite, the Nazi super soldier. Yeah, exactly. You do have that once in a while, but it's not it's not a recurring theme everywhere. No, there's no there's no reverse. Thor Loki is not Loki is not a reverse Thor. No, he's not. He's he's on the side. He's something else. And same Iron thing. Man's got a lot of reverse armored guys. Yeah, but that's another theme, you know. It, it's it's about uh, what do you do with the technology you have. Yeah. So that may be a facet of it. I think the yeah. like having dynastic models for yeah. for heroes brings on that. I mean, yeah. Superman has more than one. Ultraman yeah. and and Zod and Zod and. So you've got you know people yeah. who are exactly the same character except evil. I think we're onto something. It's about inner conflict or outer conflict, and about what you believe is true or what is true within the DC universe, and and about the inner conflict and who you are on the Marvel side. I think that's that might be a way into we'll have into to the kind about. of stories that yeah. you have to tell with villains, and that has an impact on villains and their motivations. Yeah. So that might be maybe you have a different opinion out there in the world. Please uh, share. We're very curious. Right, exactly. To, to all these questions, really. Super villains, doing one. Bad guys are taking over Washington. Don't be scared. Some prepared. It's an emergency. But I'm ready. I thought maybe now that live action has taken yeah. such a big, prominent place. Who's the best and worst DC villain adaptation in live action? I'm glad you're asking me that because you have all the fatigue. So I can't wait yeah. to see what you think. But uh, I think the best adaptation for live action uh, supervillain, I would go with Captain Colt from the, the Flash series. That's who I like best as any villain, really. You know, I, the, I don't get the whole Captain Cold love. You don't get it? I don't know. I think the, the performance is really cartoonishly sneering... He is. I, you know what? I like Heatwave more. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all right. I mean, it's not a competition. But what I like about him, what I like about Snart in the show, is that he is just on that borderline of being too much. He has this way of walking that line where you don't know if he's good or if he's bad. He'll do good things with a bad attitude and he'll do bad things with a good attitude. He's real, but he has this lingering way of talking yeah. and and it annoys and, me <laughs> but you know you, you have to you know what he says is true but he says it in this way he's, he's like over dramatic that's a good impression i i well thank you but i i do really like him i think he really represents what captain cold would be in the comic books right. that right. i liked yeah you know. that makes sense uh, i think the easy answer would be uh heath ledger's joker Oh, yeah. A performance that actually then changed the comics considerably. Yeah. For good or ill. I really do have a soft spot for Mark Hamill as the trickster. Uh, I do, too. It, because he's in t- the two Flash shows. Yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, the seeing back again and basically playing a, a shade of... It's not a real adaptation of James Jesse from the comics. It's his a version of the Joker that he plays on the cartoon shows. Oh, well, I see. I would, but, I, I would disagree with that, though. Because okay. uh, we can clearly see that he has the same type. 
you know, really. You know, he has this, I'm not going to do impressions for everybody, but his trickster is, I think, one of the best adaptations. Well, not really an adaptation. It's like a, a recreation of what mm. the trickster would be if he was live action or, or for real. And that's one of the things I like about Hamill's trickster. Same thing for, for the Joker. I mean, Heath Ledger, what I love about it is how he has the funny voice. He has the funny walk. He has these weird things going on. And he's terrifying. And everything about that Joker says uncool. But every uncool thing, you know, the funny laugh, the, the, this, you know, he changes his voice for this character. And everything about that makes it cool and that's why Leto's Joker I mean he's a great I, I like him as an actor but his Joker was too he wouldn't ask the question why so serious he wouldn't because he's too serious he seems to take himself very serious he has no funny walk he has no funny voice so he's no Romero he's no Nicholson he's no Ledger. they all have funny voices and funny walks and go. funny laughs and they're all terrifying well, there you go so that's that's my take on that, but I'm with you on that. I mentioned Romero because um, I was thinking for camp value, you know, Julie Newmar's Catwoman oh, is probably my top three oh, in this list. She's just Oof. wonderful. We were watching this one show with uh, oh, yeah. uh, Catwoman because I, I I bought the box. Okay, you know, and we so and uh, me and my son we enjoy that Batman show so much, and we were watching. I think it's, uh, I can't remember, it's season two. And it's where a Catwoman has this new little sidekick called Pussycat. And that show is wonderful. Wonderful. Numar in that was just, ah, oh, just loved it. My, er, my earliest memory of Batman 66 is Batman taking out a uh, bat handkerchief out of his uh, belt because she's it's crying crocodile tears. Is that it's the same one? one yeah. <laughs> It's it's wonderful. The ones I don't like, though. Okay, let's call them disappointments. Disappointments. Uh, every Bane in every movie ever made with Bane in it. So the two Banes suck. Suck hard. <laughs> well, you know, in the, the original Batman films, I've always disliked Danny DeVito's Penguin. Oh, really? Man. I thought it was like a disgusting mutant creature that was not like mm -hmm. the Penguin of the comics. And just like a little too gross. Yeah, he was. So that didn't work for me. Um, the black teeth. But Bane, yeah, Bane is... Um, Bane is horrible across the board. Although, you know what? Who was really disappointing in those movies? Two-Face. Two-Face? Tommy Lee Jones' Two-Face yeah. was a betrayal of Billy Dee Williams as Harvey Dent in, you know, just two movies earlier. Absolutely. And he's just playing the Joker. He's not Two-Face at all. And he's he doesn't being... even respect his coin. Ugh. I know. He's being the Joker. And, and that doesn't even work. No, Tommy Lee Jones as the Joker, really? It doesn't work. It's not good. So that one was a big disappointment for me. On TV, I think they screwed the pooch with uh, Plastique. Okay. Just because, to me, there's something special about, I mean, the backstory today, even then, it was ridiculous where she was a member of the FLQ, yeah. uh, like a, a Quebec separatist. But how many French Canadians do we see in comics? Very few. <laughs> and, they're, and they're evil. <laughs> well, in this, in this case, she was. But Plastique could have been a character, especially since they're filming those shows in... Uh, Vancouver, yeah. you could get a French Canadian actress. You could to do that and have a proper accent, and, and they would have been would have been great. Even if she's not a separatist, even just like an echo warrior. That was I thought. Well, you know, they just it's just a cookie cutter character now. Plastic yeah. is just somebody that lives in Central City and got explosive powers. That's it. Yeah, that's kind of sad. But... And as we've discussed before on this show, 
I think, probably on TV, the biggest disappointment for us was the Dominators. Oh, yeah. Naked Dominators. Didn't work. To me, those are the worst adaptations. They were they were awful. They were awful. They were probably worse villains, but the adaptations... Yeah, they're not Dominators. They're just monsters. Did you uh, have anyone else on your list? No, no, not really. I mean, I really dislike the Banes. <laughs> I, it's just that they ruin movies. I mean, Bane... In the comic books, was a strategist and you know had a plan and broke the bat's back and and you would not believe that in any movie, not in the Nolan movies. I mean, a lot of people are thinking probably oh, in the movie in the Nolan movie. No, he wasn't. He wasn't even close to being the Bane from the. Well, comics. there's a problem with Bane even in the comics, and it's it takes us to the last uh, part of the little structure we had here, which is: are there any DC villains? we can absolutely cannot stand. Instead yeah. of love, let's talk about some hate. Okay. Uh, because they're villains. They're you gotta, villains. You gotta hate the villains. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes you love to hate them, but how about the ones you just hate to see at all? And I think characters like Bane and um, Doomsday mm-hmm. were created for a function. They didn't evolve to break the Batman's back no. or to kill Superman. They were created to be... To do that. They are tools. I absolutely agree. They, they are not characters. They might become... Doomsday's never going to become a character, but they might become characters, like Bane yeah. did, uh, and up their cred. But when they were created, they're just a means to an end, yeah. just a plot device. Not really characters. And then you're going... And that happens a lot. And th- those are probably the characters that I don't care about. The big bads created for uh, events that they're just boring ciphers, and some of them never outgrow that. So especially with the big crossovers. Yeah. So who, cares, who gives a shit about uh, the Anti-Monitor or uh, Monarch, who might be a good answer here? Yeah. Uh, Extant, the Bloodlines, Parasites, Neuron. So so those characters are... Who cares? Nobody... They're, they're Where were you before <laughs> that you are now such an extinction-level threat? Well, they're, they're basically disposable characters. They just have a function. They don't have a character. They don't have a personality. They don't have... You know, it's such a, a blatant Hulk ripoff of what would happen if Superman fought Hulk. Right. You know, and, and, and it feels like that. And he's, you know. And so, once their stories are done, their stories are done. So they're not my real answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because my real answer would be a character that would yeah. reappear and I'd be pissed. I'm not going to make friends with mine. Okay, who sure. is your... That's true. That was also my answer, and then I thought of a better answer. But, oh, really? But well, I'm with you with Deathstroke. Deathstroke, I mean, I, I was a Teen Titans fan. Deathstroke was basically mercenary or an assassin hired to, you know, kill the young ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has no motivation other than money. He's really just the product of the 90s type. Even though he's an 80s character, yeah. he sort of became that prototype. He, be- he became that. He's he's the Wolverine, basically, of DC Comics Universe. Mm-hmm. And he just became this badass that you like because he's a badass. But what what are his motives? I don't like his costume. Well. I don't like his connection to the uh, to Jericho and all the Titan stuff. I don't like his relationship to Terra. Mm-hmm. I don't like... It just makes me squirm. I don't like that he got his own series again and again and again. A lot of people love him because he's a badass. I mean, you can... He's not so bad on the Arrow show. No, because there he has a motivation and he has a... a, They basically recreated him for the show and it made him better. But, you know, in the comics, he was... He was... Who was he? Slade Wilson? Who cares? He's he's an assassin. That's all he was. So, ugh. So it was him on okay. my list. But who... Although he's so, he's kind of used as a sort of anti-hero type. And so I, so I was like, okay, well maybe there's like a pure villain that I can okay. put on there. And then it hit me when I was, you know, running down that list of event villains. Yeah. Anti-Monitor and Monarch and all that. Superboy Prime. 
<laughs> Superboy, yeah. fucking Prime. Oh yeah, he's horrible. Who's just the? I get it. Let's take a uh, let's take like the worst stereotype of the angry nerd. Yeah. Uh, we see maybe there is fatigue there because though I don't see Superboy Prime all that often. I see the angry nerd on Twitter and Facebook all the all the time. Yeah. It's, you know, that's cousin to Nazis. So Superboy Prime is supposed to be that. But I don't think that metaphor is all that crisp in his appearances most of the time. Yeah. And I don't think that once you've told the story, I need to have it told again. <laughs> I don't care if he's your fetish character, Jeff Johns. I don't need to see Superboy Prime, who is just comes in a story... And dismembers heroes. Yeah. He just maims and kills characters that you might care about or that maybe they've been played out, but they could be. I, I hate the idea of killing superheroes for just for shock value, and that's all Superboy Prime does. He's the angry nerd who turns comics he appears in into the comics he wants to read, which are all shock and... No substance, really. No substance. So uh, I, whenever you see Superboy Prime, you need to fear for the characters that you do like. Yeah. Because they're going to have... Some of them will get a bad end. Well, he's basically the ultimate plot device. You might say, well, if you fear for your characters, then the, it works. Yeah. He's a villain to be feared. But he's not being feared for the right reasons. I yeah. fear him because he's destructive to the world that I've engaged with well so much so that he punches reality and resets everything if that's not the ultimate plot device he's not really a character he's just you know a means to a maybe lazy end so that's why i don't rate infinite crisis <laughs> it, um, his appearance in uh, legion of three worlds was problematic i mean he's the big bad in that so it's kind of annoying that um whenever he shows up and causes havoc especially because it's so gory for no reason and it's, it's so damaging to the the properties that yeah. show up maybe you're the you're a writer writing superboy prime and you don't or superman prime as he wants to be called and he was also in like the sinister war stuff we're not war calling stuff. him that we are calling him superboy prime till he punches our reality okay well superboy prime you know shows up and then the, the writers use him to kill, kill dead dead some characters that they don't care about some people care about those characters yeah. including future writers who will have to make somebody punch reality yeah. just so they can be brought back to life so it's to me it's a it's running around in circles first of all you don't need to kill off anybody they can just stop being a superhero you can stop at any time and just be anonymous for a while you don't have to kill off anybody I mean, what's the point? Because if you're gonna, there is no point. If, if you're using, if you're making your big bad kill, you know, characters that were in Who's Who that had their own Who's Who pages, yeah, essentially, just to show how bad they are. But those characters have not been used in years, or you know, are not popular. Then who are you trying to bother here? Yeah, exactly. Because you know the name heroes will be safe. So why not just not not kill anyone, and then when you know the Flash dies or Supergirl or whatever. Whether we like those stories or not, you know, that's the end point. But if people are dying all the way through, who gives a shit? So, a Superboy Prime would actually be my real answer. Yeah. Though, of course, Deathstroke appears a lot more. I've never felt the need to buy any Deathstroke stories. Yeah, no, I get it. Basically, what we hate is how plot points, tools, become something more than tools after the tale has been said or, or told. I think one of the key points that when we talked about the hero, the villains we liked, I'm following the hero story, and some of the villains that I do like had their own story. For me, it's uh, about it's about motivation. So and who's why the character? Yeah. So if you're just a plot device, you're not a character. No. So I don't care about you. 
and then I find the things that you've been made to do by the writers annoying and heinous. For like Bane and Doomsday, they never earned it. Batman's back should have been broken by the Joker. Superman should have been killed by Lex Luthor. Yeah. They earned it. They would have earned that moment. And then when they returned, when those heroes returned, it you know, backfires on them. If you're just going to bring in a, a villain that never existed before, whose only function is to break Batman's back, who is that character? He's not a character. He's a plot device. And you don't have a lot of time. There's not a lot of lead time to make that character a character. I think Bane was more successful than, well, Doomsday cannot be a character. He's just a monster. He's just He's a, a force. But exactly. You know, so Superman is unbeatable until plot device kills him. Yeah. Whatever. So that's not as interesting a story as having a, an actual character defeat him. Or even not not defeat him. There are better stories yeah. where Superman wins than the death of Superman. Well, the brilliance behind Lex Luthor and how he should be the one to, if ever, kill Superman. It's just that he's just this regular guy. I mean, he's super smart, but he's just this regular guy. And Lex Luthor becomes less interesting when he gains like powers when you know he has the power suit or whatever yeah Mm -hmm. well the power suit kind of works i'm okay with the power suit it's more like the you know implanted kryptonite i mean these things where you try to give them powers um yeah you know same thing with batman actually you know when somebody gives batman a power ring or gives them the mobius chair and it's fun for a little while and then you take it away because batman's brilliant because he's not exactly then you take it away. It's a gimmick. It's a story. You have to take it it's away. It's as amusing, possibly, as Batman being turned into a child or, you know, exactly. Zebra Batman or whatever. Zebra Batman is awesome. Right. You do that. Yeah. It's done. It was fun. It's well-remembered. Gone. You can't do that for It, it doesn't years. become the... Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I feel, what happens with some of these villains. Like, the success of the miniseries they were in or the storyline they were in is mistaken for... the a popularity attached to that character. Yeah. Bane started with his greatest hit. So after that, where are you going to go? Well, down. So it's either always trying to tell that same story where he tries to break Batman's back and not succeeding. So... It's it's boring. Do you agree or do you disagree at home? Who are your favorites and not so favorites and why? You can leave those comments on fireandwaterpodcast.com or alternatively uh, on our Facebook page or even on Twitter if you're very succinct. Um, tell us what you think about this discussion and of course on uh, Justice League International number 23 if uh, you've read it and we'll hear your thoughts on the previous episode which was a bit of a while, of a while ago Bass. Yeah, that's, it's why, been a while. that's why we were talking a bit longer this time because we haven't seen each other in months well to talk comics <laughs> weeks, in weeks for sure. yeah so um, we'll take a small break and come back with your letters from the front letters from the front <laughs> Two hundred and twenty-nine different characters spanning the galaxies of the Legion of Superheroes, presented across seven comic book issues. A new miniseries as part of the Who's Who podcast. To handle this many characters, the Irredeemable Shag is bringing in a ringer, or maybe we should call them flight ringers. Who's who in the Legion of Who's Super- who in the Legion of Who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? The Legion of Superheroes in the Legion of Superheroes. The Legion of Superbloggers team up to present Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, a three-episode miniseries in 2017, part of the Who's Who podcast on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Long live the Legion. Legion. 
Letters from the front! Letters from the front! So we're talking about uh, mostly episode 25, Flash number 22, and Manhunter number 9. Yeah. Uh, that story, the, the the finish to the story in Cuba. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Michel Fief, who says, As a Cuban-born kid who was raised in a lefty household in a very conservative Miami, I really appreciate this Flash issue and somewhat its portrayal of Fidel. The term dictator was certainly never used around the house. Not surprising that Cuba was on the minds of Loeb's and Estrander Yale. These comics came out on the eve of Cuba's special period, the post-Soviet economic blow to the island. But it might very well be just a throwback nod to the missile crisis. In any case, these comics are way more effective on every front than the underwhelming detective issue that took place in Havana. Yeah, yeah. He says, Item! Maggie, Hopi, and Penny made cameos at the party. Not the only time Love and Rockets dropped in on The Flash and other mainstream comics. So there was another... We were looking at costumes in the costume party. And um, the characters from uh, Love and Rockets were also in there. I didn't see that. I'm not a big Love and Rockets reader. I've read like a story here and there. Yeah. So I didn't catch those photo bombs. (laughs) But thank you, Michelle. Interesting to hear a bit more about human history and where we were at at the time. I don't think we had that background really chris franklin of the supermates and nightcast says you guys have brought up memories of why i just kind of shrug off the messner lobes run on the flash he didn't seem to remember he was writing a superhero comic a good chunk no pun intended of the time it felt very indie and not in a good way wally remained pretty unlikable and his nagging overbearing mother only made him more so he had lots of odd supporting characters that sometimes seem to be the focus of the book. When you have multiple titles like Superman, you can afford to focus on Jimmy and Perry every so often. But I didn't buy Flash for the adventures of Mason Tolbridge and Mary West. It did feel very much like a black comedy sitcom at times, with Wally being the beaten-down lead. There were highlights, sure, but overall, there's just a lot of slow, non-Flash stuff going on in the title that should be fast-paced just by nature. Wade was a shot in the arm. Yeah, and and I mean, being a Flash fan, I mean, I totally agree. That era really set up the pieces for you know the Mark Wade run. I think it's not without value. It's just not as and enjoyable. As said, like Michelle Fief rates it very highly. So it's I, I think we saw this when we discussed the Flash yeah. earlier as well. It's a polarizing run. Some yeah. people hate it. Some people love it. I don't. I don't really hate it. I understand it, but I don't like it. You know, it's not it's not my thing. I'm not going to sit down and read that again. I, I, I but I get it. You know. Chris also tries to win a no prize. Uh, you remember the disappearing baton? Yeah. That Manhunter has like shooting nothing. Yeah. Um, well, where's Manhunter's baton? I would blame the inker on that one. Uh, Marcos probably just decided not to ink what he thought was unnecessary costume detail Springer had drawn in. The baton was right in front of his chest. As for a no prize, his baton has a stealth mode cloaking device? (laughs) Well, that's useful. This whole story seemed a bit unnecessary. I think they could have wrapped things up in the first part of Flash's book and moved on to something else. Yeah, but they had to have this. What I did like about these two books is that they're so intimately intertwined. It felt more like the crossover event. Yeah, it really did. So that was the good part. But yeah, I I agree. Rob Kelly, for his part, says, I imagine running a costume shop is a license to print money in the DCU. There's so much more to choose from instead of the usual pirates, ghosts, and slutty nurses. I can picture some of them trying to get ahead of the competition by offering a deeper bench of costumes. Ultra Boy, Gentleman Ghost, The Trickster... We have every costume in Who's Who. Ted Kilvington answered him, Instead of slutty nurses, the DC costume shops have slutty Catwoman costumes. Hey, wait. We have those too. <laughs> Maybe they have slutty Ultra Boy costumes. 
I hope they do. Uh, Gus Casals says, The Flash characterization is about to take a key turn right after Invasion, when Wally loses his powers and has a new beginning uh, in one of my favorite single issues ever, number 24. Regarding politics, Messner Loeb's was going for a left-leaning tone for sure, which I guess read even more odd back there and then. Reading this from a third-world perspective, third because of non-US, non-USSR position, it sounds like how Fidel was seen from outside the polarization. In the same way, it seemed less bizarre to us because Cuba yeah. is not a... We don't have an embargo no, thing with Cuba. they're not a threat for can Canadians. No, we... It's too cold up here. A lot yeah. of Canadians spend a lot of their time on beaches, on Cuban yeah. beaches. Uh, David S. Gutierrez says, uh, This was my era of the Flash. I loved Wally West. While he didn't ever compare to the JW Ship version of the character on TV, Wally West was my comic book Flash. Admittedly, he had a rocky start, but Wally blossomed and the book was incredible for over a hundred issues. Oh yeah, uh, my Flash was Wally also. That's why I'm I'm glad that the TV show is basically Wally in Barry costume. Mm. You know, it's it's basically the same thing. It's about the Flash becoming the Flash, and and that's what we really liked about him. We never saw that with Barry. Barry just started off super powered, could run through walls, could do everything, and Wally had to learn everything and become the Flash that the better Flash actually. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Paul Hicks from Australia. You okay over there? I hope he's okay. I hope he's okay. Adam took care of everybody. I think everybody's been freed from the Dominator concentration camps. We'll find out. Uh, Paul says, I thought it would be fun to do a Wally West Index podcast. Even pick the name, Go West. But whenever I reread most pre-Wade Flash issues, I realized why I sold all of them in the late 90s. Whiny Wally indeed. I will give it up for issue 19, though, with Wally attending the party with the rogues who are all about Barry since his death. Sure, it was yeah, a, they're a great, issue. Moments. Yeah. great moments. I have a soft spot for Manhunter based on its association with Suicide Squad. A strander had a groovy thing going where Mark Shaw would bring in a supervillain in the pages of Manhunter and the wall would put them on the squad mission shortly after. It didn't happen a whole lot, though. He says that, but there are only a very, very few characters that Manhunter captured and then you, you saw in Suicide Squad. And, okay. And not big names. Well, he said it happened to, with Boomerang and Count Vertigo, if he remembers correctly. So I went back to check, uh, and it's just, it's Count Vertigo, Outlaw, and uh, your pal Sportsmaster, well, Sportsmaster 2. Not quite as cool. Oh, yeah. Well. So those are the only three characters that were recruited in the Manhunter comic. For Suicide Squad, Vertigo at least lasted a you know, a number of issues. The other ones were like one-shots. Oh, here, we got a message from Frank. Oh. Diablo Frank, who I also hope is okay for different reasons. He says, The invasion tie-ins combined with the stupid mechs promised in the following issue put me off on Manhunter. I own some issues from the Saints and Sinners arc that closed out the series, and I read one or two of them, but mostly just skimmed the rest. That's how bad this four-parter was. I had never liked the Wally West Flash, but I suspect the crossover marks the specific flashpoint of my outright hating the character forever. <laughs> he also says, if Jeff Johns and Howard Porter in prime form couldn't get me off on reading this character, I figure no one can. He doesn't like Wally West? Nope. That's unreasonable. Well, Frank's a contrarian. I mean, you can hate some of the things. I mean, Whiny Wally was... Oh. But, I mean, later on, Wally becomes faster than speed. He hates super speed as a power set, so he's spoken about this oh. a number of times. Oh, I used to love Diablo, Frank. Things happen. I guess we have to disagree on that one. That's one of my favorite power sets. It's the only power set I would want. Anyway, Tim Price, for his part, says, Oh, oh those Durlins. They are so dumb. 
Granted, I don't really think turning into a fish to leave the island was a practical option. It would take days and days of swimming to get from Cuba to Florida and not get eaten or killed by a bigger creature. But that's not what they said. Instead, it's, uh, what's a, what's a fish? As Bass says, are you kidding me? Hey, a bass is a fish. I don't know why I thought that. Uh, <laughs> and it's delicious. Uh, with the talk of, about Doug Rice, the artist on Manhunter, I believe issues 10 through 12 mark his return. It's true. Right after this issue. The giant robots are a tribute to his Dynamo Joe comic. It's too bad Doug didn't do more on the series. I agree with you guys that only Doug drew the costume right. And of course, I have thoughts on Whiny Wally. I didn't always like his portrayal, but as I was the same age as Wally at that time, it felt like this was a growing into adulthood phase. He knew how to be a hero, but he made dumb decisions and then complained that they didn't work out, which fits a couple of scenarios. One, the son inheriting the family business and does contrary things just to assert independence from his father, Barry in this case, and two, the successful child actor that doesn't know what to do with his life. Superpowers since childhood, almost loses them, gets them back, and wins the lottery. Now he's losing powers again, and not coincidentally, also loses his money. Thankfully, no robbing of convenience stores, but treating friends poorly and sleeping around? Yeah, that fits. And yes, not my favorite version of Wally, but there was a long game in mind and had some real gems. I think you guys mentioned the airplane story last time. Wally jumps out of a plane to save a flight attendant, a situation where being able to run real fast is seemingly useless oh so good and it's one of the few issues from that run that mm-hmm. that i had in my collection where everything is slowed down you're basically seeing two people fall for like 20 pages yeah because it's all slowed down while he's trying to think of a way out of that situation so that's uh one of the good comics from that run he also came back late on um, a comment about Spectre number 23. And we talked about magical characters in that. Mm-hmm. So he says, who remembers the real first DC all-magic team? It was in Blue Devil's Summer Fun Special number one. Yes, that one. Black Orchid, Madame Xanadu, Creeper, Etrigan, Phantom Stranger, and of course, Blue Devil. It was also great in that the characters all agreed, that's sorted. Now let's never do this again. <laughs> <laughs> so that was oh, like the, the original magic team up. magic team up facebook likes and shares from abel padilla billy lacasse clinton robinson of coffee and comics daniel budnick david foster d bash dead as hell gene hendrix grant richter jason mulliken jose rabichot who says i want a flash cake it's so big <laughs> uh, max romero mike zumo most cast nicholas prom pat sampson rob kelly robert ward who loves our chemistry. We have chemistry? Like, you know, experiments. Uh, later. <laughs> Sean Emmons, Terence Gastongay on Google+. Plus. Thank you, The Hammer Strikes. Twitter retweets and favorites from Amsel Von Canterbury, Ange, Avatar of the Green, Bat, Beatlemania, Cash Flag, Chris, Earth 2 Chris, Chris Lewis, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, Daniel R. Budnick, David S. Gutierrez, Digest Cast, Dylan A. Lange, LTO Gus Veneno, Film and Water Podcast, Greg A. Hicks, Hokoff, It's Plastic Man, Joe Crawford, John Belgeron, Jorge Savador Hurado, Justices First Dawn, Left Dance, Mark Wiggins, Matches Balone, Max Romero, Pod Dylan, Rob Kelly Creative, Rolled Spine Podcast, Serban Adri, Superman Movie Minute, Ted Killington, who says, looking forward to another great listen. I guess this is just before he listened. <laughs> <laughs> Terrence Gastongay, The Cinebud Podcast, Tim Price, Treasury Comics, William Estep, and Willie Yarbrough. That's a lot of uh, Twitter retweets. It's a lot. So wow. um, thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's how people find the show. Remember, we said it before. I'll say it again. Firewaterpodcast.com to leave any comments for our next episode. Or else, Firewater Podcast has a Facebook page and on Twitter, hashtag FWPodcasts. Thanks a lot.
next time on First Strike Invasion Podcast, Wonder Woman 26 and Captain Adam 25.